Hey everyone, Richard here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to briefly talk about our membership program, Admission. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Admission program, it's a hub that contains all the tools, trainings, and templates that we use at CTC, all of which has been battle-tested with real clients and our brands. No guru BS here. And on top of that, you'll get exclusive access to one-on-one -on -one consulting with our team of experts. Uh, you'll get exclusive group trainings, a private member forum to share insights or just trade war stories. And for a limited time, we're offering the e-commerce diagnostic toolkit for free to anyone who signs up for admission. So head over to youradmission.co to get started today. That's youradmission, Y-O-U-R-A-D-M-I-S-S-I-O-N dot C-O and get started today. All right, on to the show. Hey folks, welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gaffin, director of digital product strategy here at Common Threat Collective. Joined once again, as I always am, he's back, Taylor Holiday, CEO of Common Threat Collective. Taylor, how are you doing today? I'm, do I'm well rested. You know, I got the relief oh, pitcher great. coming in. Luke got some, came in and did a <laughs> nice substitute appearance. We're trying to see if he's got, you know, the chops. I'd be curious what everybody thinks. Should we get more Luke in there, more tactical, yeah. strategic advice or not? What do you all think? Yeah, I know. Well, I'm, I'm interested to hear what the folks think. I definitely invited him him to, to pitch again or whatever the analogy is here, but yeah, I know. A welcome break from the the podcast grind. Uh, had a few of them myself, but we're we're back in it with both feet here because. Uh, so last week, actually, maybe we should re start by just recapping last week. Luke and I discussed a phenomenon that he was seeing in his clients and across maybe a range of his clients as well, which is this idea that returning customer revenue is yeah. starting to flatline or it's getting close to flatlining. Yeah. Um, and we discussed a little bit about how. Essentially, that is the fallout of what happened with COVID almost three years ago now yep. uh, and how the sort of the way that's really put everything out of whack is really coming kind of coming back to bite us. So this will frame this a podcast as another yet another episode of Defend That Tweet because Taylor put out a very portentous or whatever the word is tweet. What is this? May 12th. So as of this recording, that would be last Friday. And here, I'll read it out for the folks. Okay. Quote, I'm working on a bigger piece on this, but the last couple of weeks have revealed a really ominous story for me. Yeah. I thought e-commerce was through its worst period, but I was wrong. There are some yeah. really hard days upcoming and brands have not made the hard decisions to prepare. So there's a lot going on in there and, and a lot of ways to break this down, but maybe let's just kick it off by Taylor. What, tell, me, tell us what's going on, why yeah. the doom and gloom, and, and what can people expect? Two important pieces of context for my reality, okay? One, my job now at CTC most of the time, like when I get brought into a client meeting or this past week I flew up to Utah for a customer or when I come into a QBR, what I'm asked to present is sort of the macro view of what's happening across all of e-commerce, right? Like this like context, the container in which the individual brand exists. So it's like, Here's the context in which you exist. Now your strategist, your team is going to speak to your individual circumstance within that broader context. So most of the time I spend my time trying to understand that context. What is happening around us? And in the last three years, going back to 2020, I've written a number of sort of like pillar prophecies, if you will, about what we mm -hmm. thought we saw happening. Right when COVID started, I wrote this thing about how this was a moment to push all in. And we got that really right, I feel like. I feel like that piece was really right yep. in, in April of 2020. And then in March of 2021, I wrote a piece that I called the, the Tempest in the Tidal Wave about some coming headwinds. And I think 
there was a lot about that that we got right in terms of iOS coming, about some of the economy's things, about costs and inflation. But I think there was something that we missed in that article that I'm realizing now, which is that all of the new customer acquisition that had happened in 2020 created a safety net, a buffer, if you will, for the struggles of new customer acquisition, really for the, for the subsequent, let's say, 18 months. If we think about the COVID era, like the boom era, I would really define it as March of 2020 through May of 2021. Okay, that's peak boom because iOS comes, uh, the iOS privacy update happens in May of 2021. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's really 18 months of ambiguity of not just pure boom economy, but we're on the downslope of a lot of that crazy demand. The market sort of starts softening. A lot of the tech companies start taking their hits and brands are struggling, right? And so 2022 is sort of smaller growth off of 2021. But really what I have seen now, and, and oh, so the other really important context thing is that our own business, CTC and Bamboo Earth, okay? 2022, we took our medicine hard. Layoffs in both organizations, cutting OPEX dramatically in both organizations, cutting cost of delivery or cost of service as much as we possibly could, and demanding inside of Bamboo Earth first order profitability. These were things that were not happening in 2020 and 2021. And we early on, now looking back on it, I feel good about having gone through that already. Because what I have seen, and this, this came out of three different meetings with large customers of ours where I was sitting with their founders or CEOs or CFOs and looking at their P&Ls and realizing that what has happened is a culmination of a lot of things that are going to make the next five months really, really difficult because most people have not taken their medicine yet. And I'm going to go through a few of these things. So I want to talk about the things that I'm seeing. So one, we talked about the existing customer revenue down. Okay. So we're not going to rehash that. Go listen to Luke's episode. It's really important because it sets up basically the idea that this buffer is gone. Your sort of ability to extract additional margin because of your existing customer revenue is gone. It's down. So what does that create? Well, now all of a sudden, everybody has to try to create incremental profit from their new customer acquisition, which means they either have to create additional efficiency out of nowhere, or they have to go find reduced costs in the, in their, in the, the way that so they have to create more margin somewhere, whether that's through re, reduced CAC or improved gross margin. So here's the problem with that idea. That's not how it works with CAC. You don't just get to decide one day that you're going to substantially improve your efficiency and increase your volume. Because it's not like we were in an era where people weren't trying to get a better ROAS. Of course they were. So if you just decide tomorrow that you're going to go and try to cut all spend that is not first order profitable, what it means is less spend, less top line revenue immediately. Now, maybe a bit more contribution, but likely it becomes a very difficult exercise. And for some brands, they can't even get there. And so mm -hmm. right away, there's this shift where as the existing customer revenue that was propping up your MER, that was propping up your P&L begins to dwindle you now all of a sudden look at the only lever you have left to move, which is new customer revenue, and you can't get it efficient enough at enough volume to cover everything that's happening. So that's the second thing that I'm seeing. The third thing is that OPEXs ballooned over COVID. <laughs> okay, And this is the thing that I've been shocked 
to see is that when everybody grew, guess what they grew? Just like when you start making more money personally, guess what grows? That lifestyle grows, baby. <laughs> and this is, I'm talking about lifestyle inflation to the OPEX. Okay, so what is lifestyle inflation? That's a bigger office, a better office, okay? That's, hey, when we travel to that photo shoot, maybe sending five people instead of three. That's, hey, when we're having that vendor in, we're not ordering a pizza anymore. We're now ordering from the fancy healthy restaurant, and that cost went from $74 to $189. And the sum of all these lifestyle inflation elements, maybe you started paying yourself a little more. Maybe everybody's salary expectations changed inside of the organization. All of those lifestyle inflation elements that came off the good times are still here and have not been reset. I've been into some big buildings and big warehouses and nice offices and you know, seen a lot of ancillary costs on the OPEX of these P&Ls that it's time to go back and begin to pull back with a fine-tooth comb, but that hasn't happened yet. And that likely means people too, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, th that's interesting. I mean, like the, the idea, we were talking a little earlier or before we hit record here about the way that the tech industry has sort of had to yeah. take its medicine as well. Like we, we were sort of, the timing of the struggles that we went through were sort of similar to those of tech. But of course, like yeah. the mind goes instantly to the, like, let's say 2012 stereotype of the tech office with the arcade and the ping pong table and the whatever. And I think that there was definitely like a ballooning of that sort of behavior uh, in terms of the way that people were sort of running the operational side of the business. And now, yeah, <laughs> everybody has to go back to, to square one again, back to the garage, well, so to speak. And it's, it's no different. Like we have to think of this, like our personal budgets, right? It's no different mm -hmm. when money is abundant. And I don't just mean like revenue, but think about the cost of capital, the access to cheap, Financing, credit yeah. lines, equity capital, all of those things, when they're abundant, leads to a set of behaviors that don't require me to examine every decision that I make through the lens of cost, right? You start to think about other things. You start to think more about the experience of it all, right? And that's not mm -hmm. to say that those are bad decisions. That's a very human process. I promise you, if you have $10 million in your bank account, you're going to evaluate the menu at a restaurant different than if you have 10. It's just human nature. And I think part of this mm. right now, too, is that the balance sheet is the third consideration here. So we've talked about the P&L a little bit and what's happening there. But part of why I think this is lagging, too, is because of a few things. One, people raised equity capital that was cheap. They have a bunch of cash. They got cheap credit facilities or maybe credit facilities that are going to turn out to be a little more predatory than they thought. <laughs> and then they sold a lot of revenue. They made a lot of money. They had a lot of cash coming out of 2020 and 2021. And so historically, if you have no cash, the, the second you're going to lose money for one month, you start to take austerity measures immediately. You start cutting because you die otherwise. But when you can mm -hmm. afford to lose money, it makes losing money more allowable. And that's just, again, a very human thing. If like if I have excess capital, if I lose money one month, it's like, well, we should sit down and talk about this because this, this could be a problem. And then after losing money for three months, you kind of go, yeah, we should really action this. Mm -hmm. But when you have no money, the first time it happens, you action immediately. And so there's just a, there's a behavioral lag to the response that I think is part of what we're experiencing and what I'm seeing in these businesses. Because a lot of our customers, to, to, to give context too, we serve what we call the not yet enterprise or next gen brand. Think of it as 20 to $100 million in revenue. 
So these are not brands that are on their last dollar or struggling to survive tomorrow. They're brands that have built a bankroll. They have a bank of customers. They've been able to survive in this era and have some safety net. But what it's caused in my experience is a lagging response to a present reality that their current cost structures no longer work. And that's the biggest thing I'm seeing is that the present cost mm -hmm. structures, the present composition of the business no longer works. Yeah. So th this kind of raises the question for me then. Like I, there's of course a human element where when you are in a in a, in an infinite cash situation or a free cash situation as it sort of was yep. for the last couple of years, plus all of these things coming out of COVID, it's inevitably going to be human that you end up or, or that you stop thinking about costs in the way that you ought to, whatever. Right. But what are the ways that we can, and maybe this is a little segue into a pitch for the diagnostic toolkit or whatever here, but what are the ways that we can sort of, because maybe an analogy we're using is that like people have been, or brands have sort of been in this hibernation state or whatever, where they've, they've stored up so much, like a bear has eaten so much for the winter and sort of so much fat. Yeah, yeah. Though, then when they come out, they don't have to hunt right away, right? Because they're, they'll be fine for a certain amount of time. Um, so I guess I, what I want to ask is like, how can brands identify that actually we're, we're in the safety net right now? Because I think that yeah. sounds like the issue. People land in the safety right. net and then they say like, oh, we actually have, we have all these things, uh, you know, the loans, ERC, uh, whatever. Yeah. So let's just continue as usual. It's business as usual because we have the cash to float it. But how do you discover that you're in a situation where a few months down the line, this could become a problem? So what I'm seeing too is a lot of founders that have historically been disconnected from their financials in ways mm. that like was okay because they were, there was so much margin of positive error, meaning like they were winning by so much that like having a ruthless discipline to every dollar wasn't really part of the process system that they built. And that also includes the accounting systems. I have seen some not great accounting in terms mm -hmm. of both the timing of it, how quickly it's completed and available to entrepreneurs to make decisions, the structure of it being disciplined about ensuring that it's on a true accrual basis and any costs that lag, we don't mix cash and accrual in the setup that we really have a clear understanding of what parts of the PL we're examining, what the targets are for each of those expectations. I'll give you an example of one that I've seen wild variation on. And when I probe at it, it's lack not always clear why. So one metric I look at all the time is what I would call net shipping revenue. So that's shipping revenue minus fulfillment and shipping cost monthly. Mm -hmm. So in other words, what is the customer giving me in revenue and what am I paying in, in terms of cost? And I'm seeing that one, those numbers are growing. So the mm -hmm. shipping costs are inflating um, or that they vary wildly without much clear understanding of why. And as you ask, this is, this all goes back to offer design and merchandising too, because I was talking to one apparel brand that there's a very clear distinction at the composition of the product and the box size that they ship with that changes the cost structure dramatically for shipping. But mm -hmm. they're not clear on exactly how the merchandising of the website and the offers on Facebook affect how often they cross over that threshold. So when you think mm -hmm. about calculating the actual margin of every order, when that threshold gets crossed, the margin's reduced. Your CAC is no longer good enough. You're no longer first order profitable. And this is especially hard for brands with tons of SKUs. It's another reason why like the idea of just running broad one campaign, all your products is really, really hard to account for 
because you don't actually know what people are buying, where they are, what the shipping yeah. cost is, everything versus having a specific site with a specific product that has a specific marginal outcome and you have variable shipping costs based on location. Now you've protected your margin, right? And I think, mm. I think Amazon is another thing that has just deceived people. Like I, this is really important. Okay, Corey, if we're going to clip a TikTok, clip this moment. Your business is not Amazon. Selling products on your website is not a loss leader from some alternative profit center. It's your only profit center. So you cannot sell products at a loss. You have to charge the customer for shipping if you can't afford to do it. If your CAC isn't good enough, you have to charge for shipping. And if you, if that, you think that causes a decrease in conversion rate, the answer is to drive more demand, to figure out how to make the product more compelling so the customer is willing to pay for it because you just flat out cannot sell products at a loss. That's not your business model. Don't let Amazon get in your head. That is not your business. You are not running that business. You are running a different business. And so I think so much, we've adopted so much of this idea that like the customer expects it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can't do a thing the customer expects at a loss. You'll go out of business. You have to make sure you're protecting your unit economics. And I think that's another thing where we just kind of got lazy. It was like, well, customers mm -hmm. like free shipping. So let's just lower the free shipping threshold more and more. Oh, that worked. Our conversion rate went up. Our top line revenue grew and our margin shrank and our shipping costs ballooned and our net shipping deteriorated. And we're just not connecting all those dots. Yeah, no, another another great example of getting used to a certain lifestyle, because that's true, I'd say, on the consumer end as well. You know, being used to the idea of like, yeah, instant shipping. I get my Uber to my door and it costs five bucks or whatever, but all those things are changing. And so there's this sort of um, epidemic of missed expectations maybe on both ends in terms of uh, companies getting used to a certain way of living, consumers getting used to a certain way of receiving product as well. So I do want to say or bring up something. Well, yeah, maybe to my former question or, or to my original question about like, how do you spot that you've hit the safety net? How do you spot that this thing is about to happen before it happens? What are the leading indicators, I guess? Yes, great, and great I, question. Yeah, I, I bring that up as as a way maybe of even kind of bringing in the the diagnostic toolkit as well. I was having a conversation with an agency owner on Friday who just run the toolkit on her client. She was in a situation where she she sort of knew that there was something going on with the business, but she was profitable on first order. Their LTV, she'd grown it by a significant amount, but the, the brand was still losing, losing, losing. And after running the toolkit, it became clear that their OPEX, cost of delivery, and cash conversion cycle, those three metrics were outrageous. Like they were so, 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 so bad. So there was no no way to win. And That's right. all of these decisions on the business operational end were made at a time when they had a ton of inventory. They were selling great because of COVID, blah, blah, blah. And now that just wasn't the case anymore. So how, how do you catch this? How do you, what do you look yeah, so, at? So here, sure? here's how you do it. Yeah. One, you manage your business through your cash flow forecast first. So most people manage their, their businesses like this. Marketing dashboard, P&L, cash flow. They move in that order. They'll look at, you know, whatever their dashboard is, their looker, their stat list, their triple wheel, whatever. They start there on day one. Okay. Then maybe they go look at the PL monthly. And they some businesses don't even have a cash flow forecast. Hmm. You need to invert it. The first thing you look at every day needs to be your cash flow forecast. Is it growing or shrinking? That's the that is the only truth. 
Anything else that claims itself as a source of truth is a lie, a deception, and a scam. Yes, and I know there's lots of websites that have that phrase on them, single source of truth. It's a lie. That's not the truth. The truth is the cash, the only truth, okay? As a business operator, every day, soak in your 13-week cash flow forecast. If your bank account doesn't grow, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters, okay? Number two, then, is to move to the P&L. And in the P&L, all those things reveal themselves. Their OPEX reveals itself, right? Your actual gross margin, people are horrific at assessing their actual expected margin. Why? Because margin changes on the base of two things, okay? One is the cost of production of the product. The other is the price at which you sell it. So what do people do that deteriorates their margins in ways they don't think about? They discount, okay? The take rate on your coupon, on your welcome flow, on your email affects your cost of delivery. It affects your gross margin, okay? So these things and how much in any given month what I see is that people will to say to us, oh, my blended margin is 35%. Will you just plug that in for the cost side of the equation? And I'm like, no, I won't. Because I also know that you change the MSRP of that product. I have, we now have in Statless the ability to track MSRP changes over time. And people will change the price of their product all the time without telling us and ask us to use a blended percentage margin. And I'm like, that's not real. This is why the net outcome is wrong, right? And so- we're moving from an era of generalization and assumption to an era of specificity, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is hard and that requires diligence and it requires better accounting and it requires more clarity of cost. And that's what's, that's what's coming. And it's gonna be harsh and it's gonna leave a lot of int- entrepreneurs mind spinning to try and get back and reimagine the way that they manage their business because there's just too many places where we were wrong or it's bloated or we have unrealistic expectation. And Lifestyle cuts are the hardest kind of cuts. Paying yourself less money, laying off team members you care about, getting rid of that office. Like offices are an identity thing. Mm -hmm. And I say this as someone who had an office as an identity. The place you bring people to is a part of the experience that you've created. It's the signal of this special thing you've created because the website doesn't really do it justice. Well, when you have a 40,000 square foot web office and it's cool and there's like rad stuff everywhere, it's a signal to people that you are important and giving that up is hard. Yeah. So these things are not easy decisions. They're really challenging. Yeah. And, and in light of that, I think it's always important when, when we're talking like this or, or when we say things like people are bad at, you know, X, whatever, like we're terrible at accounting, blah, blah, blah. We also have to say, include ourselves. We are people. Oh, no, right? no, no. And that, most so, of my lessons, Richard, are my own failures. Yeah, That's yeah. why I speak exactly. this out of a- this. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. This is exactly what I'm saying. So what I think would make sense then is like, let's step back to, we, we kicked this off mentioning CTC and, and Bamboo Earth specifically, obviously, because yeah. that's a D2C yes. brand. Let's talk about the changes that were made. So you, you, we yes. famously, let's say within the world of CTC, Bamboo yep. Earth is a thing where we solved it by figuring out 60-day LTV. That <laughs> maybe is not the case anymore or is not yeah. as important as it used to be. That's not the headline. The headline yep. now is like, we had to figure out how to get this brand first order profitable, which I know has always been a struggle. So talk to me about, and, and our listeners as well, how, what were the changes made specifically, lifestyle, whatever, to get yes. those costs down and to figure out bad work? It was every part of the P&L. We laid people off. I think half the staff. I don't know the exact yeah. numbers, but it, a lot of people were let go. It sucks. Yeah. We made bad decisions in terms of how much staffing we had relative to the revenue and profit we were generating. We had assumptions about the future and there was real human cost to that. We found every available cost in the OPEX side of the business that we could reduce, whether that 
was software costs or outsource partners or whatever it was, and we reduced them. So the OPEX we went after, and I think we went from over 25% down to closer to like somewhere to 15 to 17%. Like, and if your payroll, payroll needs to sit somewhere between eight to 15%. And again, this is all contingent on the margin of your product. One of the things that Bamboo has is good margin. But so, so we were, we were able to get that down, pick up, you know, seven to 10 points of margin in the OPEX. The second was cost of delivery. Like we, we found ways in which the production of our product and the shipping costs of our product were leading to less margin than we wanted, right? And so we went after looking at every bit of that from the, the raw material price of the stuff that we were buying to how much of it we were producing it, how many people were required to produce it, where we were shipping it, how we were shipping it, all of those things on the cost of delivery side, same thing. And then CAC, we just, we went full cost caps. No dollar was spent if it's not break even on first order. That's, that's the law and that's AMER. So it's an AMER target that governs the spend and we push as much volume as we can against that AMER target. And that is the rule of law. And so here's, here's, here's the secret. And this is, again, I'm speaking right now to a little bit more mature e-commerce business. What I'm about to say is not true if you're a brand new business, but 20 to 100 million. Here's how you're profitable every month. Ready? It's really simple. The contribution margin on your returning customer revenue exceeds your OPEX. And your new customer acquisition is first order profitable. You can't lose money. And so that idea that like the, the, the amount of people that you have and the cost of the system can only grow as long as your existing customer revenue can cover it, okay? The margin on your existing customer revenue has to cover your OPEX. Then you can go be as aggressive you want as new customer acquisition at break even, and you're still gonna be okay. And then whenever you need to, you can extract more profit by taking more efficiency on new customer acquisition for a given period of time, or... Ideally, even you create a little bit of margin on that OPEX, that existing customer revenue to OPEX. And that relationship became a thing that it was very important to think about how we were growing the OPEX and what allows us to grow the OPEX. When, what triggers for us the idea that we would hire for a new mm -hmm. role? Because a lot of times we just think about it as like, there's, oh, there's a new job to be done. We would really like it if we had another person to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, cool. But... If the money doesn't exist for that person, unless you're gonna enter a period of investment, which is an intentional loss for the sake of future gains, that's what an investment mm -hmm. is, right? I give up money today for the sake of some future return, and you better be clear on when that's gonna happen, you can't make that decision. And so mm -hmm. the, the, the principle for hiring, the principle for investment, the principle, it just, now there's a bar and it has to be cleared in order for that to occur. Mm -hmm. And actually, so that segues nicely into my next question, which is that you you framed, the decisions made in Bamboo Earth over the last couple of years as as bad decisions. So, in what sense were those decisions decisions well, bad, and in, yeah. in what sense were they just nobody can, can predict the future? Well, okay, that's that's a great question. I think they were decisions that assumed something about the future that was foolhardy. How about that? Which was okay. it assumed the future was going to be like the present such that we were going to continue to be able to access access more capital and we we're going to continue to access cheap debt and we we're going to continue to be able to you know drive massive volumes of new customer acquisition at this you know at a slight 60-day loss and not run out of cash it assumed a lot about the future which i think that's the mistake that i've come to i've come to understand how hard it is to be right about that idea right and when mm -hmm. things are going well it's really hard to, it almost makes you feel like a cynic or like some kind of bad person to be like, hey, mm -hmm. everybody, slow down the party. 
I'm not sure this is going to last forever. Maybe we should be building up our storehouse a little more, you know? So I think that it's a really hard disposition to take that I think requires having lived through some of these struggles. A lot of these are learned. And I want to be really clear. If I sound like I'm speaking at you, just know that what is coming out of me is the pain of having lived those decisions. Office as an identity, me, very much me. 40,000 square foot building that I owned with my 3PL and a cool studio and a rad office and mini hoops and like all the things that I wanted everybody to come see because it made me feel important. Mm -hmm. Big staff. The amount of times I led with CTC has X number of employees as a badge of honor that somehow I was doing something really important. Lots of times, right? Not paying as much attention to the costs, kind of spending money, little too much travel. Maybe we didn't need that meal. Maybe that party wasn't necessary. Me, I've done all those things. I've lived it. So I know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I hope you receive it as a deep desire to help you avoid any of the troubles <laughs> that I've had to experience because because you can. It's it's available. There's wisdom available from the people who have gone before you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's, it's interesting that you mentioned that that specific thing about like the office and the staff and whatever, because there's definitely yeah. a sense like in, in boom times that austerity makes you sort of look like a Scrooge, right? Or, yes. or you know, running your business Intel or smart or whatever, however you want to frame it, seems a little right. bit like, oh, everybody, everybody else gets an Xbox, but my mom won't get me an Xbox. You know what I mean? That's right. And that's like that's an incredibly right. difficult thing to overcome. So it's just like a basic human instinct that you have to have the framework to show people to say, like, this is why you can't have an Xbox. And this is why that makes sense. Right. Um, and it's even harder I, to when that when that thing that the reason that you're saying isn't actually definitively provably true. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I say like yeah, yeah. someday it's going to be harder. <laughs> I might be wrong about that actually for a really long time, you know, yeah. in the same way that like right now there's some likelihood that what I'm saying is wrong and that in the next mm-hmm. three months there's some economic boom that's unanticipated and we find cobalt mines underneath Kansas and all of a sudden the United States is the richest country in the world again, you know, like whatever. <laughs> I, yes, those are all possible. But given the facts that I see on the chessboard right now, and from the entrepreneurs I'm walking alongside, that there's some real work to do to go travel lighter because the demand isn't blowing in the same way, you know. And I think mm-hmm. that's really important. Yeah, yeah. Def- I mean, I think definitely what we're pointing at is is leading indicators that we can be reasonably certain are are predictive of the next few months, barring something crazy happening. But of course, you know, COVID happens, so that's always <laughs> exactly within the realm of exactly. And that's that's been hard. The other thing too um, that I think is not talked about enough in our industry is that over the last few years, there were two major cash infusions into businesses in the form of the PPP and the form of the ERC, okay? And both of these were essentially free money that were just given to businesses, okay? Set aside whatever political opinion you have of that, that most people received. Mm -hmm. And I know based on the number of lawyer emails inbound that I receive that are right up there with the number of emails that I get from cold call service providers, like cold call service providers and lawyers willing to do my ERC filing uh, for a, for a commission are, are, are the same volume in my inbox. I know mm-hmm. how prevalent this is and it's not talked about enough and it's propping up everybody's balance sheet and it's delaying the medicine in lots of ways. So it, it, that's another piece of this that I don't think that's coming again. I don't think the United States government is going to issue another ERC or PPP here in the next few years. But again, maybe that I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that, but I would not plan. And if that, if your cash, if you go look at your cash flow over the last two years, 
And if you extract out those two numbers, is it positive or negative? And if it's negative, then there's something being hidden that needs to be solved for. Mm -hmm. Okay, so speaking, speaking of things being hidden, this is just one question I had out of curiosity. When you were going through the process that you went through with Bamboo Earth of paring yeah. down OPEX, paring down costs, what surprised you in terms of like, this thing is sucking money out of us and we had no idea. Was there anything like that that really jumped out of like, oh my God, I didn't realize that this is an issue. And how did you address that? I, I, I honestly think, and this sucks because I am not... <laughs> I'm not one to advocate for the termination of employees. I think people are the cost that you justify more than any other. Yeah. There, that in almost every case, and I think we're seeing this broadly, the reduction of workforce does not, the percentage reduction in workforce does not equal the same production in a reduction in output. And efficiency is a necessity that when absent, isn't often produced. Like when, it, when the necessity is absent, efficiency is rarely produced, right? So yeah. if I give you 10 hours to complete a task, you'll take 10 hours. Like work mm -hmm. fills the time that you give it. Whereas if I say you have an hour, it's like a lot like writing. You're a writer, right? And the reality sure, is right? like I've always been fascinated by journalists, right, who have to turn an article in every night. And there are people that develop the capacity to do that every year for 20 years. Every night, write an article, submit it by midnight every night, you know? And then mm -hmm. there are authors who take three years to write a book. Neither is right or wrong, but the task will take the time that you give it. And I think that that in a lot of organizations is, is sort of what happens is that you built a workforce, you assume the output of that workforce, but the reality is that same output is available at less. And I think I, that, that's the stark reminder that I have been wakened up to forcibly in both mm -hmm. CTC and in Bamboo Earth. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to hit on this? No, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to write with a bunch of data and sort of examples of what I'm talking about so it doesn't feel sort of obtuse or amorphous. And I'm, I'm hoping it'll be out in the next couple of weeks. So look for that on the CTC blog. I'd love if any of this experience is resonating true with you to share, reach out to us and we can help. Take the diagnostic kit. It's a great way to help identify the places where this is hiding inside of your business. Go get your GQ score, share it with Richard, share it with us. We'll talk it through with you and let's help to sort of find the canary in the coal mine before it becomes too big a problem. Cool. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Take care, Taylor. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce playbook podcast. Remember to rate and review, like, and subscribe, all that good stuff. Also, you can always get us at podcast If you want to ask anything about the world of e-com, you want us to discuss maybe issues with your business. If you're going through something as far as thinking about cost cutting, OPEX, all of these types of things, you can always reach out to us and discuss there. And of course, a reminder that for, again, for a limited time only, the e-commerce diagnostic toolkit is free for anyone who joins admission. So if you want to identify precisely where you're having issues, where those cost-cutting centers may need to be, and how they relate to your marketing efforts, and then you want the private training, the one-on-one -on -one attention, the private forum, all that stuff, uh, to get support on what to do about the results of the Diagnostic Toolkit, this is the perfect opportunity for you to do that. So again, check it out, youradmission.co, Y-O-U-R-A-D-M-I-S-S-I-O-N.co. Check it out there, get it. Again, we appreciate you listening. Take care.